0: We read God's word together this morning. And we are in First Samuel chapter 18 this morning. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did so successfully, that Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp. As he usually did, Saul. As he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, "I'll pin David to the wall." But David eluded him twice. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We are in the second week. Boy, could I get this turned down just a just a hair? We are in the second week of a series that, that talks about how we talk to one another, how we how we relate to one another, and uh, it's a series called "Before We Hit Send." And this week what I want to talk about, last week we talked about truth, telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And maybe some of you who are, who are here last week, you're beginning to ask the question, okay, so if I can't say anything truthful, or, and if, I need, if it needs to be kind, and if it needs to be necessary, then what on earth do we talk about? You'll get there. If you're not there, you'll get there. By next week, you'll get there, because you'll be thinking about, okay, I should say, oh, okay, Maybe it was true, but it isn't going to be kind, what I'm going to say, and it really isn't necessary. Case in point, um, some of you maybe have heard of the TV game show, it's a United States game show, it's called Jeopardy, I don't know if, uh, if you've heard of that, the, uh, and currently there's a guy on there, he's just tearing it up. He's won 22 games in a row, he's well over a million dollars that he's already won, and this last week they asked him a question, a magazine, a, a, a youth magazine asked him this question. So what have you learned about Jeopardy that you didn't know before? And the host of Jeopardy is a guy by the name of Alex Trebek, and he's been with them for a number of years. He's a very personal, loving, you know, kind of loving guy. And he really he he comment or compliments the show so well because he's such a good host. And this man who's won 21 or 22 shows in a row, he said, What did I learn? I learned that Alex Trebek has a potty mouth. It means that he, has, he, he talks really, he swears a lot. And I'm thinking, oh. while it was true, it wasn't kind what he said, was it? And while it was true, did he have to say that? He didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say it. it wasn't tr- while it was true, it wasn't kind. And while it was true, it wasn't necessary. We're going to talk about necessary next week, but we're going to talk about kindness this week. And as we begin, I want us to look at uh, our, the scripture that I talked about. Uh, for some of you who are new or are back with us this week and weren't here last week, one of the things I talked about that I want us to do in these three-week series is to learn a memory verse. And that's Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Simple And How many of you have been... Oh, you don't need to raise your hand. You'll incriminate yourself. Psalm chapter 19, verse 14 is really the anchor of this whole series. Let's talk let's read it together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. So what do you do when people are throwing spears at you? That's really a question that David would have to answer because as we pick up the scriptures today, um, if you wouldn't mind putting this, uh, the First Samuel chapter 18... Scripture's up again. As we, as we look at this, and let's set it in the time period of where this is at. This is after the time that David has been anointed as king. And it's after the time that David has killed Goliath. And now David is with Saul. And in this time, as you, as you see there, um, David is loved by, he's loved by Saul. He's loved by Jonathan. He's loved by the people of the nation. Go to the next slide, please. And it says, whatever Saul sent him to do, he did it so successfully. That's a, this is a really interesting passage, a really interesting chapter to read. And watch it, how God worked in, in David's life and how God was not at work in Saul's life. And it says, this pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Everybody loves David. And as Saul and David are riding back, I mean, it is good for Israel at that time. Saul is on top of his game. He's at the top of his game. He's got this guy, David, by him, who just is an amazing kind of guy. Everything this guy does turns to gold. And then we have verse 6. This is a turning point. For some of you, you might want to write a big X or an arrow right in your your scriptures at this point. This is a turning point for Saul. Verse 6 says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine... The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. And they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain called him. Now before you go and you say, well, whoa, 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 Saul is justified. I mean, look at what they're saying. This is where it helps us to have some background in, the, in Hebrew poetry. Okay, I'm the geek. I went to school for this, so I'll give you give you some help on this. In Hebrew poetry, this is seen all the time. You read it in the Psalms. A thousand will fall at your side. Ten thousand. It's a very common, and this was also a very common ditty among the. the, uh, This a common refrain among other nations and other people groups as well. The fact that they put David in the in the larger slot might be due to the fact that he was more successful. But it was not. Me- it was, at, at that time, it was not meant to be any kind of a, a diss on, on Saul at all, because Saul was the king. But how did Saul take it? Saul saw this as a personal affront to who he was. And it galled him. And it's interesting, because the next phrase that happens there, it says, um, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Whoa, 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 Saul, you're going a little far on this, aren't you? And the next line is huge because he says, he says, um, uh, go back one, one more slide. He says, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The word play is interesting here in the Hebrew because what it means is he kept an eye literally on him to do evil. From this moment on, Saul is waiting. He's watching for his opportunity. When the opportunity came, what did he do? He threw spears at David. So what do you do when people throw spears at you? Because maybe people will not throw spears at you, literal, physical spears. But can the workplace be a place where people are throwing spears at you all the time? People are saying things about you. People are doing things about you. How about in the home? How about in your neighborhood? People may not physically throw a spear at you. But they, they will do things towards you. And so what do you do? What did David do when he, when he had spears thrown at him? Do you notice what, it, what is it that it says he did? Verse 11. But David eluded him how many times? What do you do when people throw a spear at you? Well, you throw it right back at him. That's not what God says. David, in, in this instance, he tells us what you do. Why? Why didn't David do this? Why didn't David throw the throw the spear right back at him? He didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate for what reason? Because David knew. David knew. Who Saul was. Saul was God's anointed. Saul was king. Now well, wait a second. But hadn't David been? Hadn't David already been? Um, been uh, oh, that's the word I'm looking for? Anointed as king, he had. But what David understood, and what we need to understand is this, that God's timing. David would be king when? When God put him on the throne. It was A.W. Tozer who made this statement. "Before uh, Before God can use a man greatly, he often wounds him deeply. David, for the next, some biblical scholars tell us, the next 20 years, he will be on the run from Saul. Why is God doing this? Because God is wanting to see David's heart in the same way that God knows all of our hearts, doesn't he? And he knows whether or not we are a king after Saul's heart or if we have a heart that is after King David. But he doesn't tell us. He wants to see. He wants to look. And for the next 20 years, he is looking to see what kind of a heart will David have. Will he be a king after Saul? Or will he be a king after his heart, after God's own heart? But David understood God's timing. God would put him on the throne when God desired to have that. But in the meantime, God is testing him. Now, here's the second thing. Um, David understood who, who Saul was. And he was not willing to touch the Lord's anointed. As you see in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 24, God gave, God gave David two opportunities. Two opportunities to kill Saul. And there will, be, there will be times when God to test our hearts. Remember last week I talked about telling the truth. And I said, in this next week, probably even in this day, you will have an opportunity. You will be faced with an opportunity to tell the truth. If God is testing your heart, will you tell the truth? And in the same way, you will probably at some time be tested in your life by having an opportunity to extend kindness To someone who has been anything other than kind to you. Now, what has Saul done? Saul has thrown spears at David. David has chosen not to retaliate because David understood this was God's man. I'm going to get back to that in a second. But he also understood God's timing. God would make him king in God's time. And God, God gave David two opportunities, two opportunities where he laid Saul in his very lap. Here's the first one. It says, He came to the sheep gates, sheep pens along the way. This is Saul. A cave was there, and Saul went into it to relieve himself. Now, here's the picture. David and his men are all at the back of the cave. It's dark. You can't see anything back there. And especially for someone coming out of the light and coming into the dark of that that cave, Saul doesn't know that God has placed him in the very hands of the man he is seeking to kill. I mean, David is on the run. There's just barely a hair's breadth away from David being killed. And God places him right in his lap. And look at, what his, look at what his men say. Verse 4. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. When did God say that? He didn't. He didn't. Why do we know that? Because, because Saul was God's man, God had placed him on the throne. God would remove him from the throne. But it would not be from David's hand. It would be from God's hand and in God's timing. But look at what he does. David creeps up to to Saul, and he cuts off the the corner of his robe. And then look at what happens with David. David, it says, verse 5, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. For having cut off the corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for the, he is the anointed of the Lord. This is a key verse. And it's a key verse that we dare not run over the top of. Because David not only understood that he was God's man, but David also understood that he had no business touching the Lord's anointed. and I mean, could David have gone up? I mean, Saul is relieving himself. What a position of being vulnerable. And all Saul does is he cuts off the corner. of the. How Saul didn't know that, I don't know. And David chooses not to, not to kill him, but David is conscience stricken because this is God's man and he had no business touching him. When I was first in ministry, I was 26 years old when I entered ministry. I came out of undergraduate school, and I thought I knew everything there was. I mean, if you, you needed to know the answer biblically, just ask me. I'll tell you, because I knew. And uh, so I entered ministry, and Becca and I began working with Hmong, Lao, and Cambodian people in in and throughout the, the state of California, the far western side of the United States. And so the place that we lived in California we had a church there, an alliance church like this one there, and they gave me an office. And I would go into the office, and the pastor there was a pastor, and he had a couple of other staff members. And he wanted me always to be part of his staff. And I just chafed against it. I was like, you are not my boss. I don't don't like you. I don't want to be part of your staff. I don't want you telling me to do stuff. And we just grated on one another. And one day, the, the board chairman She came up and asked me, she said, so what do you think about Pastor Voss? Well, finally, it was time that somebody asked me. And I proceeded to tell her what I would do if I was pastor. And I touched the Lord's anointed. I reaped in my lap every seed of dissension that I had sown in the first church that I pastored. Every seed of dissension that I ever sowed in that church, I reaped back in my lap. And God taught me a very, very important, um, a very important lesson. I am never to touch. People come to me, would come to me all the time and ask, uh, you know, in our church in Montana, it was a small town, and so when somebody new comes into your church, I, I learned very early on, everybody knows who that person is, and they're like, hey, you go to the other church over here. What are you doing in our church? And people would come, and, and we called them Zoomers. They Zoom in and they Zoom out. They come to your church for about a year because they got problems with another church. And they last about one year because they never deal with the problems from which they left the first church in, in the first place. And these people would come and say, Pastor, you got some time to, time to talk. And early on, it was like, oh, yeah, they want to talk to me. And early on, I realized, "Ooh, all they want to do is bash their pastor. And I, I would have no part of it. I would say, you need to go back to your pastor. I'm not going to say these things about your pastor. You need to go back to your pastor and talk to them. And that's something that, as, as God's people, I mean, we go in and out of here from all different parts of the world. Be careful. Be careful about those whom God has placed in authority over. you. And I'm not saying that, saying that for me. But there's a funny thing, too, that happened to me. When we were first in Montana, my youngest son was in the play. And so we went there one night and sat down, and here was an older lady sitting next to me. And I said, Oh, so you're here to watch one of your grandchildren in the play? And she said, no, I'm, I'm, here to watch, uh, I'm here to watch some kids from my Sunday school. And I'm thinking, Sunday school? You're like a 108 lady. And what, you, who, what kids do you have here in Sunday school? And she pointed out, all these kids. And I said, so where do you go to church? And she named the church, and I said, oh, that's a, that's a great church. And I said, you've got a good pastor over there. And she said, yeah, we really love him. And then she said, so what church do you go to? I was brand new in the community. And she said, what church do you go to? I said, oh, I go to Community Alliance. Oh, I heard that they've had some problems over there. And, I, and she said, they, they had to fire their pastor. And I said, yeah, they did. And, and they've got a new pastor there now. Ah, that's what I've heard. It's a good preacher, but he's just not the shepherding type. I take umbrage with that. I, I don't agree with that. And she said, so what do you think about him? And I said, I am he. <laughs> and it took her one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, and all of a sudden she realized what it was that she said, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you did. You would you did otherwise you wouldn't have asked the question. Was it true? Did she know that for sure? No. Was it kind? No. Was it necessary? No. Then should she have said it? No. What do you do when people throw, throw spears at you? David chose not to retaliate. And sometimes God will put somebody in your, in your lap to test your heart. To test your heart. Well, it goes on. Um, well, how is it that David is able to not throw spears? Um, three things. Gene Edwards in his book, uh, A Tale of Three Kings. Amazing. You'll read it in three hours. Every one of you, I'm thinking especially of guys, it's a really important book. Simple, easy to read. But Gene Edwards in his book, A Tale of Three Kings, talks about David and how he avoided the spears. And he says the first reason that he was able to avoid the spears is because he didn't learn the fine art of throwing spears. He didn't learn the fine art of throwing spears. He never learned it, nor did he teach it. Some of us, we need to be careful of what it is that we teach in our homes. Do our children here in our homes... Us attacking somebody else, throwing spears at somebody else. Is, is that what they're hearing? Remember last week we talked about uh, when, when the phone rings and, and, your, and one of your parents says, I'm not here. What are we teaching our kids? We're teaching them, it's okay to lie. Sometimes the things that we say, the communication that we have around the table with our, with our children present, and we're just going at our boss because he did this and he did that. Or we're going against our mother-in-law or our father-in-law or our brother or somebody next door. And we're just tearing them apart. Be careful what it is that you're teaching in that moment. You're teaching your children that it's okay to throw spears. David also learned not to throw, stone, or not to throw spears because he, choose, he chose to avoid the company of those who would throw spears. David never calls anybody to follow him. People followed him and the rabble that followed him, did they learn a lot from David? They did. And David, lastly, learned the fine art of keeping your mouth shut. If David did speak, it was normally a psalm that he spoke. But David learned the fine art of keeping your mouth shut. A person can't make you kind or unloving or disrespectful. Your dad and his actions towards you is not what made you bitter. Your boss and the way that he or she has treated you does not make you disrespectful. That comes as a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make whether to be disrespectful. A choice that we make to, to be bitter. You ever met somebody who's bitter? Ooh, not a pretty picture at all. Somebody said bitterness is drinking poison hoping the other person will die. Yeah, and, and people who are bitter, they're toxic, aren't they? You do not want to be around them, and they're just toxic. They, they, they spew all over everybody else. A person can't make you unkind or unloving or disrespectful. We make that choice. The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, we're told. It is a choice. It is a choice of whether or not we will choose to do what it is that the Spirit calls us to do. The Spirit calls us to these things. These are what we call fruits of the Spirit. It is God's work in us to choose to make us into people who are kind, people who are loving. As we look at the next picture of, in David's life, we see a man by the name of Nabal. Nabal is in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. This guy is not a nice guy at all. And here's the background of what's going on. David and his men... <clears throat> Let me get the page. The humidity. Is... Come on. David and his men have been watching out over the flock of, of Nabal. Nabal was, was, had to have been a very rich man. And during that time, David and his men surrounded his, Nabal's men and the sheep and kept company, kept watch over them, make sure that nobody came in and stole the sheep or hurt any of the shepherds. And at sheep-shearing time, David sends his men in and says, uh, you know, wish him him well and ask him if he has anything for us at this time. Why did he say that? Because sheep-shearing time was a festive time. It was time that you paid your bills. It was time that you gave bonuses. And David and his men, what David is literally saying is, do you have a tip for me? I've watched over you all this year and none of your sheep have gone missing. None of your men have have been hurt at all. And he says, do you have something for me now? And when this happens, what does Nabal do? Nabal sends David's men away saying, who is this David son of Jesse? There's lots of people who are fleeing from their masters and should I give my bread to him? No. It was an absolute insult what Nabal did. And what do we find David doing when he hears those words? It says, then David went out of the... Excuse me. Here we go again with the pages. Well, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. David, in a sense, what he says is he slaps the side of his, his waist and says, put on your swords. We're going down there and, and you know, God be with me if I leave one, one person alive. And David isn't thinking rationally now. What is he doing? He's retaliating against, against Nabal. And what does God's word say in, the, in that instance? When somebody does evil towards you. It says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because this is what you were called this is this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. When somebody insults us, what are we to do? We're not supposed to insult them back. Is that always easy? Oh, in this world we can talk about it, but is it easy when the rubber meets the road? Two years ago, Becca and I were on the the second leg of a four-plane trip to Cambodia. We had just gotten to Chicago, and we had our carry-on bags. We were on our way to Cambodia, and normally that's what we did. We checked two bags, and then we carry a carry-on each. Carry-on was mainly just our clothes and toiletries, so in case the the, the bags didn't get to Cambodia, we had something. We had something to to wear. And so we got to Chicago, and the, the lady at the desk said, she got on the on the microphone and she said, "Okay, folks, this plane is is uh, full now and with with carry-ons. So any of you yet who still have carry-ons have to check your bag, all the way th- <clears throat> all the way through to the final destination." And I looked at Beck and I said, "We can't do that. Our, our final destination is uh, Phnom Penh." <clears throat> and so um, and so we went up. I went up to the to the lady at the desk and I said oh, ma'am, I said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I said, our final destination is not is not San Francisco. It's Phnom Penh. And she looked at me and she said, I don't care where it is. Your bags are not getting inside the plane. They're going to go underneath the plane. I said, but ma'am, I said, you don't understand. I said, we're going to Cambodia. She said, I don't care where you're going. You have to check your bags all the way through to, to Cambodia. What I didn't realize then, and I realize now, is that I don't know, something must have happened to her either that day that she had to take it out on me, or this has been a pattern of hers. I was so angry.. I, oh, if smoke could have come out of my ears, it would have, because what they didn't know was in that bag was also was money. In Cambodia, they won't take uh, crinkled dollars. they won't take any money that's that stained or, or ripped or anything like that. So we were bringing money from the United States that we would exchange with the Cambodian people, or the Cambodian missionaries. And then taking it back, and all that money was in our carry-ons. And so finally, she said, "Well, you got to take some stuff out." And Becca and I were sitting there, and she looked at me and she said, "We were some of the last people waiting out there." And she said, "You better decide what it is you're going to do, or otherwise you're not getting on that plane." And man, in a huff, we jammed a few things into our backpacks and got on the on the plane. And I was not thinking gracious thoughts about her. And I got on the plane, and I'm looking at the overhead bins, and they're empty. We were sitting in the back, of but they're empty. And then here comes that lady walking down. I said, so where's all this stuff that's full up here? She said, I'm not talking to you. Mm, you'll hear that'll come in a little bit. And so I went up to the head flight attendant, and I said, is there any way? I said, this is what's going on. We got money in those bags. She said, give me those tickets. And so she went out, and she came back, and she said, I am so sorry. She said, but they just put it under the plane, and by law, I can't take them out of there now. I think those first three states that we flew over, we, we were hot. And as the plane began to descend, I mean, the, the flight crew was just amazing to us. And as the flight began to descend into San Francisco, we both said, you know, we're, we're wrong in our attitude. We were walking down the, the jetway, and, and we were confessing, God forgive us. Our attitude was absolutely wrong. And we got to... Uh, we got to the to the desk and they called us up and, and this was with Cathay and Cathay called us up and they said we would like to see your boarding passes and so we gave the boarding passes they gave us different ones we go to walk onto the plane and the thing turns red and they said oh stand over there I'm thinking, now what next and then the lady called us up and she took a look at our thing and and she, then she would, she ripped them right in half and I'm thinking oh great. Now, what are they going to do? And she said, you've been upgraded to business class. And I thought, in my heart, I said, God, we did not deserve that. What we deserved was to sit at the far back of the plane and the seats that don't recline right next to the bathroom. That's the seats that we deserved. And sometimes God, in his mercy, chooses to give us grace instead of what it is that we deserve. But God never calls us to retaliate. And I say that story not to my Not to build me up, but I say it as an example. Don't do as I did. And I struggle too with this as well. What to do. And David, when he was insulted, he went back to doing something that he shouldn't have done. And if it were not for the intervention of, of Nabal's wife, Abigail, every one of them would have been killed. And Abigail speaks sense into his heart. She says this, You will be king. You will be king. But when you are king, you don't want this on your record. You don't want this hanging in the back of what it is that you did. And she talked reason into him. And David put it off. And you can read the rest of the story. Nabal, the next day, I think he had a stroke is what it sounds like. And he died. And Abigail becomes a wife of David. And as we, as we talk about this, there, there's something important. One more thing with Nabal. He was treated well, wasn't he? And there's a very important scripture to remember when you're treated well and you turn around and do evil. It says, if a man pays back, Proverbs seventeen thirteen, if a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. That is a sobering verse. Because it talks about that when we are treated evilly, when we're treated wrongly, it is never in our prerogative. To retaliate against that person and treat them in the way that the world would treat them. See, Nabal, his actions were, were centered on whom? All in himself. It says in Scripture, in first in John chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For the love for everything uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. For if you love the world, the love of God is not in your heart. He says, for the things of this world, the the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting in what he has and does, are not from God, but they are from the world. The reason that Nabal is the way that he is, is because his heart and his life are centered all on whom? On himself. And this is something, as we look at our lives, and we look at the way in which we treat people, the reason that he was the way that he was, because the love of the Father was not in him. And God calls us, doesn't he, to love. Does he not? He says in the book of John, he says, Jesus, one of the last things he says, is a new commandment I give you. Love one another. For in this, in the same way that I've loved you, he said, for in this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. One of the things that God calls his church to be, one of the things that God calls God followers to be, is to be loving. And it's to be kind. Is this always easy? Mm-hmm. It's not. There was a man who said, uh, Leo Rocher, he was a baseball coach in the United States. He said, he made this quote, nice guys finish last. I wonder in Hong Kong if we would say that nice guys get run over. Nice guys stand in the queue all day. Nice guys don't get, nice guys don't get, get, get promoted. Really? God calls his church to be a church that trusts in him. God calls his church and his people to be people who love other people who don't treat people as the world treats them. Why? Because when you choose to to give kindness, kindness leaves the door open for further conversation. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But application. So let's tie this all up here in the last couple of minutes that I have. God calls us to be loving. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13.4, he says, love is patient, love is kind. Of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have chosen to say what love is, he starts out by saying love is patient. Why does he say that? Because in our relationships with one another, are we going to need to be patient? If, think about it. A couple gets married, they got stars in their eyes, and they don't realize that after a year it's not stars, it's probably sand. <laughs> and they, they're looking at each other, and it's just like, oh, he is the best, or she is the best. And they could do nothing wrong. And you fast forward about three weeks and the wife is looking at her husband laying on the couch going nowhere and he's taking her with him. And she thinks, oh, I'm in this for life as though it's a prison sentence. And he looks at her and he says, oh, what on earth did I do? And sometimes, sometimes we need patience with our, with our loved ones, don't we? Oh, he left the toilet seat up again. I told her I don't like peas, and she continues to give me peas. I told her don't put onions in the meatloaf. This isn't Becca. I told her don't put onions in the meatloaf, and she did it again. I don't like rice. I don't like noodles. And if we're not careful, we won't be patient with those that we love. And he says love is patient. Love is kind. Not only do we need to have patience with one another, but we need to practice kindness with one another. We can be kind all day at work but sometimes when we get home we turn that switch off and we can say and do things that are aren't kind we walk through the door the dog gets a boot as we walk through the door and everyone else runs for cover in the united states i talk about when guys are working on their cars in their garage and something happens and the screwdriver goes flying across the room and the wrench goes the other way and people say things and do things that they shouldn't do love is kind Kindness, though, is something that God does in us. You see, Nabal and Saul were two of the tools that God used to shape and mold David's heart. And God puts people in your life to shape and mold who you are, doesn't he? And we can get rid of those people. We can get them out of our life. The only problem is God's got a pretty big toolbox. And he'll just reach down in his toolbox and get a bigger hammer. And sometimes the people that we have in our lives that we absolutely dislike, maybe God has put them there. When David is fleeing from his son Absalom, there's a man by the name of Shimei. I could see it. David and his men are down here and Shimei is up on a little hill. Shimei is part of, he's, he's a Benjamite. He was part of Saul's family. And as Shimei, is, as David is fleeing, Shimei is doing what? He's throwing dirt and everything else upon David and just cursing David the whole time. And one of Joab, one of David's cousins, by the name of uh, I think it's Abishai, he says, shall I go up there and take his head off? Nice guy. And David says, in effect, he said, no. Maybe God has put him there for that purpose. And God puts people in our lives to shape and to mold us. But where I'm going with this is that for some of us, maybe for all of us, there is a place and there is a time in our lives where we need to come before God and ask him to do what he wants to do in our lives. Do we love one another? Is it evident that you are Christ's disciple? Is it evident from the people that you speak with, the people that you do business with? Do they do business with you? Maybe what you are selling is more, is, is, is more costly than what they can get from somebody else. But they come to you because you treat them fairly. You treat them honestly. And, man, just when you talk with them on the phone, it's like, this guy is really kind. I want to keep doing business with them Because kindness keeps the door open for conversation, doesn't it? A couple more scriptures. Yeah, I got a little bit of time. Um, it says, If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, First Corinthians chapter 13, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You can preach the best you preach, but if you don't have a life that models the love of Christ, it, it's worthless. You can teach amazingly. You can be on the board. You can be an elder. You can do all of these things and do them well. But what... De- what Paul is saying, "There is if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal." Can I illustrate that for you real quickly? When our kids were little, in our kitchen, we had a—you know—you you probably do it here too. I have not seen uh, what you do as parents, but we had all the cupboards; they were all locked up because there were things in the cupboard that we didn't want the kids getting into. Was, they were all locked up except one, and that's where all the pots and pans were. And our kids knew, or especially when they're toddling around and you know crawling around on their knees, that. If Mama was in the kitchen, that, she could, that they could come in there and they could, she could open up that cupboard there for them, and they would go into the cupboard and they would take the pots and pans out, and Rebecca would probably give them a spatula or a wooden spoon or something, and they'd get in there and gling, 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 and you'd be in the other room and it'd be like, ah, I've heard enough. And that's what he's getting at when he says, if you have not love, a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, your message has no merit. Because of what it's the messenger through its coming. And it goes on, one last thing. This is a gentle a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Colossians 4 5 and 6 says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned. Just a, just a shake. Seasoned seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In uh, the pre-911 days in Afghanistan, when the Taliban was really starting to ramp up, there were a number of Afghan people that, that left where they were because of the Afghan soldiers that were killing a lot of people. And there were a lot of refugees, there were a lot of orphans that were coming into certain camps. And there was a mission group, a doctor, or a mission group that was there, and they, you know, they surveyed the situation and said, well, what do we do? And as they began seeing the kids coming in, the kids, most of them were barefoot, they were dirty. It was obvious they didn't have any family, and so they were looking, you know, work on an or- orphanage type of thing. And so they, what they did was they purchased a whole bunch of sandals for these kids. But in the meantime, before those sandals could get there, there was a whole group of them. And one of the girls, her name was Roberta. And the kids would come in, and first when they came in, she'd look at their feet, and they were cut up, there were sores, there was pus, and they were just dirty, and their hair was matted, and she just was filled with disgust. You know, she'd wash her hands so well after each kid. And then she said God really spoke to her heart. And she realized that these kids are not getting any love. They're not getting any kindness from anybody. And she said that totally turned the way it was in which she responded to these kids. And she said, she prayed that, God, would you help me? would When I touch this little girl or this little boy's feet, would they feel your touch? Would they feel the kindness? Because they don't have anybody in their life who's, who's giving them kindness or love. And she said it totally changed the way that she looked at people. Fast forward about three months. These, these people were in the, in the camp with all of these little kids, and they were, they were ministering to them. And a school teacher, a Muslim school teacher, came into, uh, into that camp, and she got all the kids together, and she was teaching them. And she brought up this question, and she said, who are the best Muslims? And one little girl shot her hand straight up, and she said, the kafirs. And I hope I'm saying that right. A kafir is someone who is a non, non-Muslim. It was often a term that was used of Christians. And this, the teacher said, what, what do you mean? What do you mean that the kafirs... And she said, the Taliban killed my father. I have no father. But these Christians have come here and they've washed my feet. Do you see where this is going? Kindness. Kindness leaves the door open. Kindness leaves the door open for more conversation. Sure, one last thing and then I am absolutely done. I'm always talking about plane stories. It's like these things happen. So I'm getting on the plane in Fargo, North Dakota. Middle part of the United States, way up in the north, is cold, cold, cold. And I'm getting on the airplane, and it's because we're in a, a smaller airport, we always had to fly out 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, and nobody's at their best at that time of the morning. And I'm getting on the plane. It was I'm standing in the queue, and in America you stand real you know, well in the queue. And I had my boarding pass, and I reached out to hand my boarding pass, and there's a guy over here, and his boarding pass came, came right over the top of mine. The, the lady at the desk, she took mine, and as she took mine, he looks over at me and says, Jerk. I'm thinking, what did I do? And I, I got on the jetway, and, and he gets on the jetway, and he gets in his seat, and I could see where he went to sit. sit. And I got up, and I went back to him. And I said, did I, did I butt in front of you? Did I, did I get in front of you? And he said, oh, No, no. He said, it's all right. He said, I just drank too much last night and I've been probably hung over today. Kindness leaves the door open for further conversation. What would have happened if I would have just been a jerk to him? It would have shut down all conversation. As a church, what God calls us to is, is truth. That we speak the truth in love and lovingly, right? But make sure that when you speak the truth, it is the truth. And when you speak the truth, make sure that you speak it in a kind way. And as we're going to see next week, make sure that you have passport in that person's life to share that truth. Because while it may be true, while it may be kind, and while it may be necessary, maybe you are not the vehicle through which God is seeking to talk to that person. And that's next week. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. For in this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. As we finish the service today, as the worship team is playing, I want to give you an opportunity at at communion. One of the things we'll be implementing is that at communion. Um, If you have a physical need and would like to be prayed for, God's word calls us to that. it's It's a privilege. It's an honor to come to God. He invites us to come uh, with our needs. And if you would like to be prayed for, ladies, a lady will pray for you and man, a man will pray for you. But please, if you have a need, we invite you to come up for that. As well, as we stand and pray this morning, if you just like prayer, as we've talked about things and maybe you're having to deal with a boss who's a till of the hun with pants on and you're dealing with somebody like that or you're dealing with a situation that you just don't know how and you like prayer, we'd invite you to come up And someone will pray with you, and they'll keep it to themselves. They won't share it with anybody. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?